was in Australia, I met this Irish guy in the middle of nowhere. He told me the most incredible story I've ever heard in my life. It's about destiny. That where you are coming from is where you are going to, even if you don't even know it yourself. And that sometimes you can't outrun your past, even if you are a dog. I followed him for a couple of days and recorded him. Looking back now, from the vantage point of Ireland, it's hard to tell what is real and what's fantastical because the story the Irish guy told me in the jungle in Australia was so unreal, so incredible, but there he was. It's four o'clock in the middle of the night. We're in the middle of the rainforest in Australia. It's pitch black, dark, dark as they say. And we're off to find some dingoes. I went to China in 1989 to Tiananmen Square about three months after Tiananmen Square massacre. So it took me down through the back streets of Beijing, right, to this little shabine, which is a drinking house. So, I could feel this thing born into the back of my head, right? And I turn around, and it's this old woman, right? So she's blind, she can't see you, but she's a seer, right? So I went over and I sat down in front of the woman. She grabs my head. She's feeling all the way off my head. She grabs my hand, right? Feel that big nodule there, right? Next time we pat a dog, when we go back, pat every one of the dogs in my house, we feel the same thing. She says to the interpreter, she says, you're a dog. What? She says, you're a dog. This is Martin. All his life, people have been telling him that he is a dog. Um, no, I think we've got to go back that way again. What's that sign say? Yeah, you can turn around here. That's, we might, if you want, we can drive up the top of here. This is the start of the National Park. And I mean all his life. Ever since he was born as a triplet, he has been called a dog. My father, he's a funny man, eh? He used to call us a litter of pups, because no one had ever seen triplets before, you know? I guess I was the bad one in the tree. And what do bad dogs do? That's right. They run away. You can't turn your back on them. Well, I ran away from home because I didn't understand myself and I didn't think my parents understand me, understood me. And um, I felt better on the streets. I liked the freedom. I liked the idea that I could walk the streets at night and nobody would be there. Nobody, that is, except, you guessed it, dogs. It was only a couple of dogs first, right? I used to hang, let them hang around just for company. Young Martin, only 13 or 14, would sleep at night beside stray dogs. Oh, yeah, they're great for warmth, eh? They get them in around you over night time, and it's better than a hot water blanket or whatever you want to use. Martin left Ireland 27 years ago. That's a lifetime in dog years. 
he has never returned home. Clement said to me, he said, are you going to come back, Martin? I said, yeah, for sure, Clement. I said, be back soon. And um, I just, I just didn't go back. He now lives in Australia in the middle of a rainforest. And this is where we find him. I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts on the matter. I don't know if you're a postie, how you deal with uh, aggressive dogs. And in the meantime, we are joined by the dog man himself, Martin McKenna. Martin was on this show recently. He's uh, finally published a book called The Dog Man. In Australia, he is known as The Dog Man. Widely known as The Dog Man, Martin McKenna's life has, in large terms, been defined by the languages that have made him who he is. Martin, The Dog Man. He wrote the bestseller called The Dog Man some years ago and his insights into dog behaviour came, well, let's say, straight from the horse's mouth. Well, the dog's mouth. Martin's books have become bestsellers. He has appeared on ABC TV. He's recognised. He's the dog man. It wasn't. The things that drove me out weren't the things that kept me away. The things that kept me away were life. And being a dog. And all this, it's all dingo territory, all wild dog territory. It's now half four in the middle of the night. There's no sign of any dingoes. You're probably watching us now. Looking at us as dumb humans. He is 51, dreadlocked, six foot two, and has scars across his face. It's not like a guaranteed thing. Um, it's not like you go to the store every day, and that's why you have to be dedicated. The dogman says he likes to come up here in the middle of the night and observe the dingoes in the wild. He likes to follow them up the creek lines. The water washes away your scent. I can come out here for two or three months and think that they've all died or been poisoned. A couple of weeks after that again, I'll see him again. And we go, why, why did I think they were poisoned? They're still here. As we stand there, thoughts would drift to when he was young, back in the early 60s in Limerick. My mother used to say to us, the only time I could get you to be quiet is if I put you down with Major and Rex and we'd sleep with the dogs in the kitchen. It's funny. Look, you can't hear anything, Right? Now we hear the morning, it's just cockerel crowing. But some nights you hear the whole place will go off. It's almost five in the morning, and there is no sign of any dingoes yet. Come on, we'll try one other place and see if there's any. Martin says the day he crawled out the class window was a demarcation line. He was young and had been sent back to a lower class to learn his ABCs. It was humiliating. He decided to crawl out the window. So I dived out the window of the classroom and I ran back home to my two German shepherds, Major and Rex. And um, they knew there was something up, smells coming off me. So the two teachers in question came to my house and basically warned me that if I didn't get out into the car they were going to beat me with the leather straps and of course I refused and I told them I said you take a step inside my property I'll let these German shepherds go 
So they thought it was bluffing, so they opened the gate and came in, I let the German Shepherds go, and I had a stick and I attacked them with the stick. The two German Shepherds were put down. His teacher, despite Martin, held a moment's silence for them in class. And my mother eventually convinced me to go back to school. She said, Martin, she says, you have to. And I kind of, at that stage, like I'd kind of broken away. I'd caused their death, do you see? After that, like, I went a bit mad. They tried to keep me in school, but I'd keep running away. They'd think I was going to school, but I wouldn't. Um, My mother and father loved me and would have me back at any moment and often went and looked for me and dragged me home and locked me in the room and said, we love you, but you need tough love and you need to learn. Of course, I wouldn't listen. Out the window, I'd be going the top window. I'm a great man for windows, hey. I'd be out down the drain pipe and gone again. Now back to those dingoes. No sign of them yet. See, did you hear that? It's a coral one you're listening to as well. They're like huge magpies. The first light is appearing. A new day is beginning. It's hard, you know, it's a long time ago now. Between, say, 13 and a half and 14 and a half, I'd say. Yeah, I was about 13 and a half at the time when I went into Sean Cross's hairband. I kind of lived in cars before that and all broken down vans and once had an old bit of a caravan that was discarded, like the gypsies left it behind. There's no definitive reason why Martin would run away. Confusion, mischief... Badness. And up behind it, there was, it wasn't even really a shed, it was just a lean-to, you know, and just got me old sleeping leg, and that's what I had, and a bit of straw, and that's good enough. He came from a good family. Take your pick, folks, as your guess is as good as mine. Martin himself doesn't know. And this is where the real trouble started, and Dog Pup started to become Dog Man. It was only a couple of dogs first, right? I used to hang them, let them hang around just for company. It wasn't this tight pack. Like, I mean, there was lots of dogs I only see four or five times and then you wouldn't see them again. you think, oh, well, it got shot or something. The dogs would come and sleep at me every night time because I was providing the food and I had the shed. It's wrong to say that they were mine. They weren't mine. There, there were four dogs who would come and get a bit of meat. And the trade-off was... I'll give you some food, you give me some company. I wouldn't really tell him what to do, but I'd observe him. I didn't have TV or a radio, and I couldn't read, so I'd just watch him. They're fascinating. They're fucking fascinating. Can you imagine, right? You're in a, in a world with people, and you don't understand nothing, right? And everything I'll tell you, you forget it as soon as I tell you, and then when I don't, when you won't be able to repeat it, I'll whack you. Okay? And you're living in this kind of a, an environment where no one's trying to understand you, but they're all getting you to try and understand them. You have to call them, you stupid. They're the stupid ones because they didn't know what to teach me. Then you come into this world of dogs, right? And everything is clearly signalled. You know, dogs are so... They, they tell us everything they're going to do. And that's why I laugh when I hear people say, oh, Jesus Christ, the dog did it all of a sudden. Oh, did it blow? No, it didn't. The dog gave you clear signals about what it's going to do. You just didn't know what you were looking for, you know. 
Martin would run away and he says he found himself sleeping in old sheds, in hay barns. There would be dogs there and Martin would sleep with them. The young child and the pack of stray dogs. Shall we? We're not going to get many. Marty? Ah, just books, new books in and ready. <clears throat> the day is in full flow. His best friend Lenny is an Aboriginal. They say they're neighbours, although they live ten miles apart. Lenny is starting work on his farm. He has chickens, turkeys and a couple of alpacas. My neck is broken, right? And so, for years and years, I keep doing this. Did you hear that? That's the vertebrae neck. Did you hear the turkey just then? Right? Remember, Len? I was going out giving it all this click in my, my shoulder out, right? And this top male turkey, he would challenge me every time I would go to this place, all right? And one day I wasn't doing it, and he instigated it. And what did he do? He went... <coughs> and I figured it. This turkey, every time I clicked, seen it as a turkey challenge the way turkeys challenge each other, the, the turkey would keep following me every day I want them to fight me. Yeah. Martin left Ireland 27 years ago. After moving from Limerick to London and back again, he decided to leave Limerick. Like when he ran away as a child, there is no definitive reason. He just needed to go. By this time, his mother had passed away from cancer. I didn't say goodbye to me old fella. We weren't talking. Um, I just had to go. I just had to go. It's just one of those things in life. You just something you have to do. You don't have a choice. You just do as you're told. The next couple of years, Martin wandered. His motto was simple: work in a rich country, and party for a couple of months in a poor. I lived in Turkey for a little while. Um, Spent a couple of months in Singapore. Been up in Laos, Cambodia, Thailand. Been to Russia, China, America, Eastern Europe, um, India. There's a lot of wild dogs, dingoes, foxes. Caught a cat in one of the pens the other night. A wild cat. Just chased it off. And this thing was just... Oh man, it was like it was like on a slingshot. This thing, it'd hit one wall, bounce off that wall, straight into the next wall, hit the ground, straight into the next wall, and I was freaking. We leave Lenny's and we're going into the local town. Lenny, once again, Hi, my As we drive down the fire trail roads built to avert bushfires, Martin talks about 1991, when the dogman arrived in Australia. And then I lived in Melbourne for a while, then I lived in Brisbane for a while, and then I went back down to Sydney to live in Sydney. And we had to keep moving because I was an illegal immigrant. And you kind of always had to watch out where you were and who you were with. Because um, one arrest and you're gone. So it was kind of like living a twilight life. I said this is a story about destiny. That where you are coming from 
is where you are going to, even if you don't even know it yourself. I lived that twilight life for about four or five years, I think. Martin would sleep rough in cars. He would drink, he would fight, he would drink some more. Because people used to always run away from me, eh? We can't handle you, Martin. You've got, they call it ADHD, but I call it hyperactivity. One night, when drunk Martin banged his head and met someone... She said I banged my head, you know, I didn't. I know I fell, but, you know, I think I just fell in love with her, eh? As a girl, I suppose you should know I was known as the dog girl because I always... I was not allowed to own a dog and every time I saw dogs anywhere in the neighbourhood, I'd be up there talking to them and making friends with them. Her name is Lee. He fell, he fell in the gutter. He's a little bit clumsy. And he fell in the, club, uh, in the gutter and hit his head. I've always wondered if... He says he was bewitched and spellbound, but I've always wondered if he actually just suffered a bit of head trauma there for a while. <laughs> but he was so wild. He would drink and he would, um, he'd fight with himself in a room. He would set down Sydney and he was banned from... I'd never been out with a man who would get into fights with people. He was banned from entire streets in Sydney. The police force knew him and liked him, but uh, it was quite a crazy time for me. To start with, like I said, I... I can't believe now how, how naive I was, but I grew up in a household for whatever reason, just didn't have alcohol in it. And I just thought that um, that was just normal. If someone's not swaying and they're not swearing and they're just still talking and going to work every day, I just had no idea that that was uh, an alcoholic. And that began a process. Call it what you want. Domestication, training... Taming my fair dogman. I was a very polite sort of person and, and very, not shy maybe, but I'd always been brought up that you don't push yourself on people. But Martin's one of those people that if you did not stand up for yourself and did not push really hard, please, Martin, go and wash your hands. Please, Martin, we are going out to dinner and I'm going to look nice and it takes me a little while to get ready. Please, Martin, can you not attack that man? Please, Martin. And it would get to the point where I'd drop the please and I'd start getting more and more abrupt. And I suppose to a lot of people, if they hear me, it sounds like I'm barking orders. With the alcohol, I just went, this is it. You pick, you're out the door. And I think that's the only way you can be. You can't reason with people. you just got to lay down the law and it's up to them to make their decision. I had no idea about the ADHD back then, but I saw a Time magazine article and I read it and I went, oh my God, Martin, this is you. You know, it's more than the alcohol, the ADHD just can, anyone who lives with someone with it, it can change your life. Martin became an Australian citizen after marrying Lee. Remember the labour, remember the little German Shepherd Pops? Yeah. We kind of looked after little German Pops, trying to get them homes, you know. It's afternoon. We arrive in Martin's local town. It's got one main street running down the centre. As we walk around, people will wander up to him and say, you're the man of the telly, you're the dog man. What's the blandy curly-haired fella's name? Ashes. I think Ash, because I remember Ron Woods wanted to shoot it one day. 
remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he was yeah, down yeah, in the field. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, farmer, yeah. right, he's no qualms about shooting dogs, right? If you go on the property, he shoots them, that's the way it is, right? Hey. I was inside and I saw. Did you see so, me on the telly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the yeah. project? Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, on the, yeah. And then it was on Channel 9. Mm. And it was on with that Kelly Ann Kennedy one. That's. I'm here protecting the car, and this is me. He's barking because you got your dog here. Right, can I tell you one extra thing about the car, right? A lot of people don't realise the car is a mobile territory. So that car has been parked to your house, and wherever you go, that dog yep. believes it has the right to protect the car, OK? So when people come up to cars, a lot of people want to pat dogs that have heads leaning out of cars. I'm just no, trying to explain to you. Don't do it, hey. Because although they might be giving it all, <laughs> as soon as you get close enough, they'll bite. But beagles apparently are very notorious no for that. <laughs> so they don't run away as much as follow their nose. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, he can go for miles. It's good long walks for him. Bring him inside at the night time, then he can't go on his own. If he's given the walks during the day, he's allowed to scent mark and do his duty as a dog. Therefore, he's not at home pining to say that he doesn't get his time out during the day. Yeah, we actually have been keeping him inside at night, and, yeah, he's a lot happier like and that. Most things that you solve with dog problems is you don't actually solve it. Nine times out of ten, you just remove the problem. After meeting Lee, he looks for work with dogs. He will put up posters in local vets offering to help people with their dogs. One woman had a problem. Every time she visited the vet, her dog would attack him. Martin had a simple solution. Feed him dressed in a white coat. A vet rang me up from a place called Bangalore here in northern New South Wales. And she said, I've heard about you. I said, can you come and help me with my dog? Uh, another person I'd help with the dog. I wasn't doing this officially. I was just doing this to help people. And they had brought their dog to the vet. And the vet had commented at how much calmer the dog was now around the vet. And so he brings the dog back to the vet and the dog doesn't attack the vet. Vet goes, wow, that's an unreal. Who did that? And he said, This guy, Irish guy called Martin, and got the number and she rang me. I went out and I was helping her with her dog, and there's this woman watching by the sideline. Fiona Wiley. She worked for ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. It would change the dog man's life. And she introduced herself as Fiona Wiley and said that she was a compare of a radio show for ABC Radio. And she said, would I come on radio and do this? And I said, yeah, sure. So she's got this show and I go on it. And it's a talkback show. They tried to call me the dog whisperer, but I said to him, I never whispered anything to a dog. And the only thing I ever whispered was... And that's obviously what they weren't talking about. And no dogs whispered to each other either. It's quite ridiculous. So they were trying to give me that as the label. And I said, no, thank you. I said, "Real in the old days, you were called a dog man. And that was it. He's a dog man because he deals in dogs. Do you think you understand what your dog is communicating to you? Humans and canines have cohabited for thousands of years. And many of us think we have a finely tuned understanding of what our dog is trying to tell us. Martin became a regular feature as the dog man on ABC. When your dog jumps on you when you get home, that means he's happy to see you, right? Well, not necessarily, according to Irish-born dog behaviourist Martin McKenna. He could tell you what your dog is saying. He understood dogs. He licks you because he loves you. Martin says licking you is a form of domination. The dog stands in the doorway when you want to go through. That's more behaviour telling you who's the boss. 
He barks at everyone who passes by the gate. This sends everyone crazy, that last one, but Martin McKenna reckons he knows why it happens and how to stop the barking. Why does my dog always barge out the door in front of me? Simple questions. When I think, is he just exuberant, that he wants to get on his walk? And I say, yeah, he is, he's very exuberant about it. He wants to beat you out the door. He'll look back at you, you see, and he'll bark at you. And he'll go, you lost that challenge of getting out the door, didn't you? And that's the way I teach. People would ring from all across Australia with their questions. My dog keeps running away. My dog is begging at the table. My dog is peeing indoors. My dog is mortifying. He keeps mounting visitors' legs. I got a Staffordshire Terrier, and he was really cute when he was young, and now I can't control him. And then I explained to him that it wasn't a fun game at all, but it was still a game, and the game was to see who could bite whom harder. And I asked him, I said, did you bite them, the dog back when it was biting you as a pup? And they went, no. And I said, well, I don't advocate you do, but because you weren't, the puppy now believes it's stronger than you and you're afraid of it. And so then puppy was beginning to bite harder and harder and harder. And so the person said to me, well, what can I do? I thought, well, this is what we do. You put your hand down and the dog bites it and everyone in the family is there. And as soon as the dog bites, we banish the dog. And there it goes off to kennel for a couple of days and it comes back and the first thing we do is we growl at it. And that brings a flick back in its memory to go, what is the last thing I did before I just got kicked out again? Oh, I bit someone. And so when people started hearing all these different types of solutions that were so left field to what other people were saying, I quickly got a cult following. I think I saw something on ABC TV about you once. Australian story. And you had a whole lot of bull Arabs living at home. I did indeed, I did indeed. You know know the the, the, the female wolfhound in in that piece? Eventually she she lived to about 15, 16, right? And the day she was dying, she came up to me and flipped my hand and looked at me and said, I'm dying. I'm going down the creek and I'm going to die now. Man, my experience was so similar just recently. You know, like, yeah. And, you know, yep. it's OK to be emotional about it. Like, I'm a big man, and I cried yep. when my dog died. Yep. But you figure, OK, I, I told things to my dog that I've never told to anyone. Exactly, right? yeah. I had her for nine years, and she was 16 when she died. Yeah. Wow, yep. what a week you could have. She had a great life. Yeah, fantastic. You know, when you that long, like, yeah. you know. And even, like, less than five days before, she was, like, running up hills and things like that, so... And then she just stopped, sort of thing, so... So yeah, we are yeah. determined, dogged determination, all right? Yeah. That doesn't mean nothing. That she, means and, and, I mean, she knew, uh, I mean, I know that she knew she was going to die, you know, like, she was letting me know about a week or so before, and I went and visited my mum up in the Gold Coast a few days before, and that was the last, probably one of the last times she was really sprightly, and we got up there, and there was a bit of a change that day, and then she got better a day or two later and went for a walk into... I took her into Lismore. We did a normal walk. We went back to the car and she dragged on the lead, I want more. This is my last one. That's what she was saying. Yeah, that's what she was saying to me. I know, I know. And we came home that day and I thought, you're going to be absolutely starving now. And I put the food out and she didn't go for it. You know, and I thought, this is not good. And the next morning we got up and went outside and she went underneath the house and said, no, come on, girl, you know. And then she walked up to the driveway next to us and there's two dogs there and she stood at the gate for about two minutes and they came down and it was about one minute and she walked away and they just stood there and stared at her 
It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? And then the day after she died, those dogs started howling. Yeah. Incredible. So they started howling, yeah, the day after. What would you say to these uh, German posties who are apparently being offered dog psychology lessons? I mean, uh, that sounds a bit stupid, doesn't it? It's a bit more basic than that. Oh, absolutely. Look, I've said this time and time again before. Dogs don't need psychologists. Dogs need good leaders. And the main problem with that is that people are allowing their dog out the front. The main thing is the dog is peeing across the bloody road. Once that dog pees across the road, it has the right to investigate anything that comes up and down that road. And this is for anyone, even post office people who are walking up and down the road delivering the mail. Hey, the, the reason that that dog will attack a postman is a postman is going towards their territory. The dogman had a national audience. Where to now? Someone suggested a book. There was one small problem. Martin couldn't read or write. I was, I must say, I was pretty worried when I got uh, the first note from him saying, could I um, talk, you know, his wife would be the person who was interpreting the emails. And so when I wrote, could I make sure I wrote to her email address? And that was a couple of years ago when he was unable to read or write. Amruta Slee is an agent with Harper's Collins Publishers. He's got this name like the dog man in Australia and it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's not like he's a huge TV celebrity or anything, but it's funny how many people seem to know who he is and because he's got that very recognisable style, you've met him, um, he's pretty wild, he's outspoken, uh, he, you know, I don't think he'd mind me saying he's sort of half dog, half human. You know, if we can go back to dog terms, and, and Martin likes to use dog terms, so again, I don't think he'd be insulted by me saying he's a very well-trained dog. Um, I haven't had any problems with him as an author. In fact, probably less problems than I've had with a lot of other authors. So he wrote a first book, um, The Dog Man, which talked about his experiences with dogs. Uh, that was a bit of a hit, and then we decided to follow up with uh, a book called What's Your Dog Telling You? It basically told, told readers what their dog was actually saying. So when their dog was whining or uh, licking its lips or, um, you know, making little jumping noise, uh, jumping motions or wagging his tail or just saying, don't hug me, Martin explained what, what um, dog language was actually about. And this was a book which not just took off sales-wise, but also had an incredible effect in terms of people talking about it. I think Martin says himself that he was surprised how many times he was invited onto certain radio shows to... And then he was invited onto TV shows. So it sort of became this phenomenon. You've got this constant companion in your life. You don't know what they're thinking. If the book comes along saying, what is, what is this um, companion trying to tell you? It's a very compelling narrative. You know, you have to read it because suddenly the mysteries of the dog world are cleared up. What's your name? Martin McKenna, the dog man. I've read I've your you, book. Yeah. Um, what was it? Um, someone gave it to me for Christmas. What's your dog telling you? Oh, my God, I'd be lost without my, my dog, you know. It's unconditional love. No questions asked. You treat them right, they treat you right. And that's yeah. a good way to end it. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing to say. Yeah. Well, because she... I could say that for... It could take me 30 minutes to say something what you said in one sentence. Uh, no I should learn from you and, and, uh, and compress my, my oh, you'll tags. Have to come you'll have to meet my little, my little prince. I will indeed. Yeah. Thank you so much indeed for your time. No worries. Nice it's to meet you. Yeah.
not so scary. Martin has arrived home. Martin now has four children with Lee. Ziggy, Casey, Finton and Marie. This is Casey. She is preparing her horse for the family walk. You're a bit scared of that, huh? Maybe you're not scared of that, are you? No. Do I take your mind off things? Huh? It's a Mexican standoff to me and the horse and the carrot. Now, if I was going to do that properly, you see, you move it now, you move that. Move it, and I'll move it. And you move that up around his head now. Up around his head, yeah? Alright, whoa, 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 whoa. Alright, whoa, 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 whoa. Lift it up again. Just there, lift it from just there. Yeah, up you go. <laughs> Who wants the carrot? Who wants the carrot? That's it, it's not too bad now, is it? And you draw back now. Remember we talked about the personal space there? Now what's happening here as well is there's a very calm voice, isn't there? And it's got a consistency, hasn't it? And so I'm kind of trying to lull this guy. Oh dear no, oh dear no. Oh there now, now you pull back again. And so we have to show him too now, right, that we're watching and listening to him. It's okay having the reward, but if we, if we don't speak to him while we're doing it. Now what I'll do to reassure him is, you see, I'll stand in between. The family are going for a walk, but we wait on Martin. He's putting his four dogs on leashes. We ask Lee what it's like living with the dog man. <laughs> never a dull moment with Martin. It's never a dull moment, isn't there, kids? <laughs> uh, for example, my daughter was doing her, uh, her school project, which is about Ireland, just a simple travel thing. She had to do a travel thing. And Martin saw the map and it had the top of Northern Ireland painted in red and he absolutely hit the roof and said, why is that in red when it's all part of Ireland? And she was saying, Dad, I've just copied off the map. That's what I've copied out of the book. And so he refused to let her take it to school like that. And she, they had a big humding, a fight about it, and he ended up eating the uh, top part of Northern Ireland. He said, it's just not going to school. <laughs> and he ate it. More screams. These are the sort of arguments we have in our house. They're not quite normal. <laughs> Where's Snowy? Okay. Oh, turned off the bush out. Martin, come on! All the time, Martin said that he'd done all the washing, and then I found some clothes hanging out of our huge garbage bin that we have here. Because if you live in the country, you have a very big garbage bin. It only gets taken once every three weeks. And I found out that he'd actually just thrown the whole shop, the washing pile, in the garbage bin rather than do the. <laughs> <laughs> what about Snowy? We left Snowy behind. Oh, he's coming. Oh, look, what a surprise Martin's talking. And then they said to me that I'm hypocritical because of the way I used to live on the streets and all that, like, hey, but... Um, uh, you know, I used to blame my parents there for a while until I had kids myself. 
the shame of it when you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, you're blaming your mother and father for doing that. Look how hard you find it with one child. They had eight. If one of them ran away or if one of them went off the rails, I'd be paid in punishment because only then when I think of that do I really cringe with shame on because of the, the hurt I put on my mother, the selfishness of myself. Jesus Christ, hey, I'm only glad that um, it, it healed the chain 